So 1 Samuel is where we'll be this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 2. We started last week in our, our study in 1 Samuel, so hopefully you have a Bible. Uh, that's what we're going to be spending our time in this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 11, and so I'll read that in a moment. Well, about 2,000 people filled a huge white tent on Friday afternoon for a, a private funeral in Charlotte, North Carolina. <clears throat> this, this funeral, this, this gathering was, was there to honor the iconic evangelist who preached to millions across the globe. This man was Billy Graham, if you, if you don't know who I'm talking about, but, but it's often said of Billy Graham, who he was 99 when he died on, on February 21st, a few weeks ago, but it's often said that there's no explanation for his success as a worldwide evangelist who preached to 250 million people in more than 185 countries, who founded a Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and who, get this, had an audience with every single president since Harry Truman, regardless of, of party affiliation. And so despite all of his fame and success, I mean, think about that, 215 million people heard this man speak. I mean, estimation, but that's, that's a lot, give or take 20 million, right? But despite all of his fame and success, Billy Graham was widely recognized for his humility and his deep desire to honor the Lord. I mean, I would, I would urge you to listen to, to his children that, that honored him at his funeral. It was, it was touching to, to hear their testimony. But it's his, his humility, his, his desire to serve the Lord that, that he was known for, even in spite of all the fame and, and the popularity. Now, we have to be careful here, don't we, not to think too highly of Reverend Graham, right? We have to be careful. He was a man just like us, and he did have many shortcomings. Okay, he did. We have to be honest. We can't, can't worship him. But he was used mightily by God. We have to at least admit that. God used him in a great, great way for his purposes. And so my purpose at the outset here is to simply say that, that no one could have imagined this, this young boy who grew up on a dairy farm in Charlotte, North Carolina during the, during the Depression. No one could imagine that boy going the places and doing the things that he did, specifically being a herald of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Helping people find a personal relationship with God, he would say, which comes through knowing Christ, but, but that's, where, that's where his life went. God exalted Billy Graham, I think we could say, and as is often the case, he exalted a humble, faithful servant. I, I don't think that, that Billy Graham set out to do what he did. He just wanted to serve the Lord, and, and the Lord exalted him. It's like we read last week in Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel uh, 1, 7, where, where Hannah's prayer, where she says, the Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. The Lord brings low and the Lord exalts, which is the title of the message. Because today, in, in, our, in our passage, we're going to see that happening. The Lord is going to exalt one man. We're going to see one boy who, who is, his family and him are exalted. God is blessing this faithful family. And then we'll see, on the other hand, the Lord bringing low. There's another family who are, who are the recipients of God's judgment. This is an unfaithful man and his family who are being brought low. And so we're going to see the Lord exalts and the Lord brings low. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2 is where I'm going to start. And so if this is your first time with us, uh, I'm going to read for, uh, give or take, five five minutes. Okay, so, so if you've never heard this story, listen. 
Um, hopefully you do have a Bible, but follow along. I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 11, through the end of chapter 3. So follow along um, as, I, as I read this story of, of the Lord bringing low and the Lord exalting. So 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, that is Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust the fork into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. And all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give me meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if that man said to him, let, the, let them burn the fat first, then take as much as you wish, the servant would then say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and she bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And Eli said to his sons, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Verse 26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. Verse 27, there came a man of God to Eli, and he said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And you honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in it. I promised that your house, the house of your father, should go in and out of me before me forever. But now, declares the Lord, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I'll cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that should be, shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. 
And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel... The young boy was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Samuel said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and he lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10, and the Lord came and he stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and he said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we like Samuel in this passage, we come now and we say, speak, for your servants are listening. Father, we don't want to let any of your words fall to the ground. We don't want to miss any of what you might have for us today from your word. So I pray, Father, Son, Spirit, I pray that we would be taught by your word. I pray that we'd be reproved by your word. Would we be corrected by your word? Would we, would we be trained by your word, for the scripture that we've just heard, that we've just read, is, is literally breathed out by you, your very breath, and as such, it is able to do far more than we could ever ask. And so we pray that you would do a work through your word this morning, and I ask all of this in the name of Christ, amen. 
Well, you made it through. Congratulations. So, so let's work through the, these, these verses, and we're going to go broadly, so, so we're not going to go in-depth to every, every verse. But, but the passage very broadly breaks down into three sections, and so I've broken them down into three sections. There's going to be the, the contrast, which is verses 11 through 26 of, of chapter 2. There's this contrast that we'll look at. Then second, verses 27 through the end of chapter 2, we, we read of Eli being rejected, or the judgment of Eli. And then thirdly, finally, uh, verses 1 through 21 of chapter 3, we see the calling of Samuel, or Samuel being called. And so that's what we'll do. We'll just work through those um, together. So first, let's begin verses 11 through 26 of chapter 2, the sharp contrast. So notice verse 11 picks up right where we left off last week, and Elkanah goes home with Hannah. So, so they're, they're leaving their boy there. That was the plan. That was her, that was her promise. I'm going to leave a boy. And so they go, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So that sets the stage. You have, you have Eli, an older man, high priest, and you have the young boy, the maybe four-year-old, maybe five-year-old, the, the young boy that's being left there to serve the Lord. It would seem this is, this is a type of a mentorship or, or a, a, an internship where the older priest is going to mentor and train this young boy in the ways of the Lord. That's, that's the ideal well, we'll see that's far from what happens. In verse 12, after setting the stage, verse 12, the narrator focuses specifically on Eli and his sons. And he does so, so he focuses on Eli and his sons, then he'll shift and focus to Samuel and his family. Then he'll shift back to Eli's sons and then back to Samuel. And, and all this back and forth is in, in, intended to show us something, namely the sharp contrast between Eli and his sons on the one hand and Samuel on the other, there's a contrast. There's something happening. One is, is being brought low and one is being exalted. Notice first, Eli's sons. Verse 12, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Worthless. Some of your translations may say wicked or, or maybe if you have translation, it may say scoundrels. These men are rotten, worthless. In fact, this is the word that Hannah uses when she's praying and, and the priest says, you're, you're drunk, she says, no, 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 don't, for, don't, don't mistake me as a worthless woman, right? That's the same word, worthless. And so, so what Eli was accusing Hannah of is actually what's true of his own sons. Do you see that? So she, she's not worthless. His sons are worthless. They did not know the Lord, it says. Verse 17 summarizes their fault. Their sin was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So what did they do? Let, let's look, verses 13 and 14. This is part of their offense. What happened, that families would be preparing meat for a sacrifice. So, so remember, they'd come to Shiloh regularly and they'd offer sacrifices, meat sacrifices to the Lord. So they're preparing it and, and you have this three-pronged fork man, the servant of the priest. And he would go around and he would just stick his fork in whatever they're using to, to cook the meat. And whatever came up, right, that's what he said, I'm taking this to the priest. Now, nowhere is this prescribed or described in the Old Testament, so I think this is part of their offense. In fact, the, the, the priest would, would already have an allotted portion that the people were required to give to them. But these priests, these worthless men would say, no, no, that's not enough. We're going to take whatever the fork gives. I'm sure it was a big fork. And so that's what they would do. They, they would go and that's what they would do. But that's not even the worst part. Notice verse 15, what they're taking, well, what they're taking in 13 and 14 was not prescribed. When what they're doing in verse 15 was strictly prohibited. So what they do sometimes when, before the, the meat even gets in the pot, the, the, the prong fork man would go around and he'd say, give me some of the uncooked meat, the raw meat. you say, well, what, what's the problem with that? The, the fat, the stuff that was burned off first was, was specifically designed as the offering to the Lord. 
And so that was it. No one could touch the meat until the fat was burned off because that was the Lord's. That was his portion. And so these men are going around saying, no, 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 before you even give the Lord his portion, give it to the priest. He wants it. And if, and if a God-fearing Jew who knows the law says, no, no, wait a minute, let us, at least, let, us least burn, let us at least burn it first and then you can have all you want. No, 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 I'm going to take it if you don't give it to me. Right? Threatening violence. I'm going to hurt you if you don't give that to the priest. Don't, don't you know who I am? I mean, these are worthless men. I mean, just stop think about what's going on. The, the priests and their servant, they're forcing the people of God who have come to worship God to break God's commands. They're forcing them. The ones who are supposed to lead them and, and guard the law and help them follow all, they're requiring them to break it. They are worthless. Worthless indeed. And so after describing them, verse 18, there's, there's a contrast. You see in verse 18, a shift back to Samuel. Samuel is described as ministering before the Lord, clothed with a linen ephod, who wears this special robe that his mom makes for him every year. So what's happening What's happening here is, is we've just heard about these worthless priests. Well, here's a shift of focus to this, this young boy who is clothed like a priest, right? This ephod and, and these, this robe, right? These are priestly garments. And so the, the, it's as the narrator saying, here's a worthless priest, but here's the true priest, right? Who we met last week. So, so here's Samuel, a young boy who's clothed like a priest, who's part of this faithful family, whose mother, why right, isn't that good news for us? The Lord, how kind that he visited Hannah. He didn't just give her one child, and that's what she asked for, but, but, but still he provided her with three more, three more boys and two more girls. So God continues to bless Hannah and her family. Well, well here is Samuel, the son of a faithful family who, who is being exalted. In contrast with the worthless priesthood, the focus goes on this family whose son is ministering in the presence of the Lord. It's as if to say there's, there's hope in Israel, there's hope. Here, here's a true priest. It's as if the author is sprinkling seeds of hope in the midst of a dark and crooked priesthood. One, one commentator said, we will not become too discouraged over Hophni and Phinehas. Okay, these are the crooked priests. We'll not become too discouraged over them so long as we see little Samuel walking around Shiloh. It's like, there's hope. As long as Samuel's there, we know something's gonna happen. And so there's Samuel being, being in the presence of the Lord serving. But after that, brief focus on Samuel and his family goes back to Eli, verses 22 through 25. They continue to be revealed as worthless. And, and here we see Eli proves that, that the apples haven't fallen far from the tree. Right, so look there at verses 22 through 25. We, we see in, in these verses the reputation of these two worthless sons has spread throughout all of Israel. All of Israel knows. I mean, this is before social media. It's before, before uh, internet and Twitter and, and all these news, 24-hour news. And yet word has spread about these two men that they're sleeping with women at the entrance of the tent. These are God's priests who have turned the temple into a brothel, which would have been common among the Canaanite religions, right? but, but among God's people, that, there was no, no, no reason. There's no, they couldn't put up with that. That's to be unheard of among God's people. And so here's the leaders, the priests doing that. And so, so Eli is saying... Sons, I, I, hear this, I, hear the, I hear your reputation spreading abroad. Everyone knows about it, so, so kind of stop. It's bad for the family name is almost how it reads. And here's Eli's folly. He doesn't sufficiently address the issue. You may say, well, look, look what he did. He told him to stop, right? But, but he, he should have removed his sons. He should have done it. He should have said, sons, I don't care what your last name is. You're out. You're a disgrace to God. You're a disgrace to the temple, to the worship of God. 
but he doesn't remove them. Instead, the charge against him later is he honors his sons over the Lord. And so he says, verse 25, there is some, some wisdom from Eli. He says, if two men go to court against one another, God, God can vindicate the innocent party, whether through his law or through circumstances. God can vindicate the innocent party. But, but if a man sins against God, there is no vindication. One party is always in the wrong. So that's what he says. What, what are you doing? You're sinning, not against one another, not against man, but against God. You have no chance of pardon, boys, is what he's saying. Only condemnation if you're sinning against God. Then look at their response in verse 25. Notice the response. They would not listen to the voice of their father for or because. They would not listen because it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, do you, do you follow that logic? Do you, do you see the cause and effect there? It doesn't say the Lord decided to put them to death because they would not listen to their father. That would be one thing. But the, the text says they would not listen because it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. The, the resistance of these two sons was not the rationale for God's judgment, but the result of his judgment. In other words, in his judgment, God had handed these men over. I mean, think about these two men, right? We can't forget about, can't forget about who they are and what they were doing. They were steadfast in their corruption and rebellion. They're going headlong into sin and immorality as God's representatives, as his priests. They refused to repent, to hear the warnings. And so in an act of judgment, God willed to put them to death. The Lord willed to put them to death. Their hearts were so divinely hardened that they refused to listen to any sound counsel. I mean, Eli gave them good advice. You're sinning against God, you should stop. But they're hardened, having been given over. I mean, it's similar to the language used of Pharaoh in Exodus. There's plague after plague after plague, and Pharaoh says, nope, not going to let you go. Okay, 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 that's bad enough, okay. I say, uncle, go. Oh, wait, 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 no, 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 nope, not going to let it go. Right? And Pharaoh would not do so because his heart was hardened. God was the one behind it. Similar case here. Having described Eli's interaction with his sons, verse 26 shifts Back to Samuel, and simply says, the boy Samuel continued to grow in both stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Right? This, this would come again later in Luke's gospel, talking about another young man, right? a special anointed young man, but here, Samuel, he's, he's growing. So whereas the sins of, of Hophni and Phinehas were increasing, and that's what's going on with, with, with Eli's son, Samuel's stature and good standing were increasing. There's, there's contrast. God is at work. There, there's there's a, a young man being... Exalted. Well, before we, before we move on, I, I do want to make a word of application here. I do think we, we should heed here the, the judgment of God. I think we ought to pause and think about Eli's sons before moving on. Now, when it comes to specifics or details or, or mechanics, the, the, the details of God's judgment, I, w- I won't say much. And I can't venture there. But generally speaking, what we see here is God's judgment being played out in the lives of these two men. His judgment is being played out. I think we often think about judgment as, oh, it's coming in time, final judgment. Well, here, his judgment is carried out in the lives of these two men, and it's carried out by putting them to death. They experience the judgment of God, and we'll see next week they they die on the same day, just as God declared. And they're killed because, they're put to death because they're evil men. I mean, they're sinning against light, they're, they're loving their lust. They're refusing to repent. They were hard-hearted and, and God put them to death. I, mean, I just want to ask, is there room in your theology for that? God put them to death. Now certainly we're, we're living in a different time and, and our place and the timeline of salvation is different, right? We live after the sacrifice of Christ. I, okay, I recognize that. 
But write down Romans 1. Romans 1 has an eerily similar process when talking about God's dealings with, with ungodly or unrepentant. So in Romans 1 verse 24, Paul writes that God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Or verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Or verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That New Testament context, Paul is talking about God giving people over to judgment. And my point is simply this, if, if you're here and you're living in unrepentant sin and rebellion, if you're, if you're living in or continuing in sin, even though you know it's wrong, if you're doing so thinking, I can always turn back to God. I can do whenever I want. I'll, I'll stop this in a little bit. I'll eventually make things right. If that's you, I simply say to you, be warned. Be warned. Heed the lesson from these two men because eventually there comes a time when God says enough is enough. That time comes. No one knows when it is. If you're hearing me, right, your time's not yet. Repent, turn. Don't wait. Don't presume on God's kindness. And so whether you're here and, and you're not a Christian, whether you're here and you've, you've spent the majority of your life in church and think you're a Christian, hear me say this. God is kind and gracious beyond all measure. He's kind and gracious. He sent his son that you might not be judged, that you might not die in your sins. But for the one who continues headlong in sin, no regard for God, or no regard for his commands, no regard for his will. The one who continues on that path unrepentant, there is no forgiveness for you unless, unless you repent. Unless you repent. I mean, the logic is simple. To repent is to turn to Christ. And as long, I mean, hear me, if you're a Christian, as long as you have life and breath on this earth, you ought to be repenting. It's a regular thing for the Christian but repenting is turning to Christ. And the one who is unrepentant, hard-hearted, he or she cannot turn to Christ. Do you see? Repentance is always the exit strategy. And so at the end of the day, we, we simply must all ask ourselves the questions, will I have Christ or will I have my sin? That's a question. Ask yourself that. Will you have Christ or will you have your sin? Hophni and Phineas, they chose and they received the, 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 the payment, the punishment for what they chose, the wages of their sin. And so I, just, I would ask you, what will you choose today? I want Christ. I want to repent. I want to turn from sin. I want Christ. Well, having made the contrast between Samuel and Eli and his family, we then move to, to the second point, and these, these next two move quickly. So we see Eli rejected, verses 27 through 36. The Lord sends word, so we have this unnamed prophet who just kind of shows up out of the blue. We don't know his name, where he comes from, but he shows up and he speaks the word of the Lord, the judgment against Eli and his house. And so notice verse four, first, verses 27, 28, the prophet re rehearses God's kindness. He says, I, was kind, I chose your father of all the tribes. I chose Aaron to be my representative, to serve as my priest. We're subject to Pharaoh, and your household was chosen he was the middleman. Look at all that he had, all the privilege he had to, to receive all the offerings from all of God's people. That was your history, Eli. So he, re he recounts God's kindness. But then verse 29, he issues the charge. Why then, in light of all that God's done for you, why do you scorn sacrifices and offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? Why, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you honoring your sons above me and fattening yourselves? We'll say more about that later, about Eli being fat. He's fat. Because he's, 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 he's indulging all, all of these sacrifices and, and he's neglecting the worship of God so that he might fill his stomach and eat in excess. 
So he charges them, in light of the privileges that were yours and the, the honor, the role of honor that your pa- family has played, you chose to throw it all away. You couldn't care less about God and his commands. So in verse 30 through 36, the prophet charges, you're, it's over. It's over. The door is closed on the house of Eli. You've lost your privilege. You and your father's house will be cut off. Although this, this is a conditional promise, although God says, I promise that your house would, would have a servant before me forever, it's over because you chose not to honor me. This calls a, a conditional promise from the Lord to the house of Eli. And he says, I'm going to raise up a, a faithful priest. Now, people, some people say, well, who is it? Some people say, what, Samuel? I don't think it's Samuel. Samuel is actually the prophet, as you'll see later. He's referred to as the prophet. I think this is fulfilled eventually in, in 1 Kings 2. Much later, Solomon appoints Zadok as the lone priest, and so he removes Abathar, this, this corrupt man, and I think that's the fulfillment of this promise. I think, I think Zadok is, is the faithful high priest. We can talk about that later. But the point, especially of this last section, is that despite the corruption of Eli and his family, God is still going to have a faithful priest. In light of rotten leaders, God is still going to lead through his chosen one, which then leads to the last section, Samuel being called. Now, this, this, these final 21 verses of, of chapter 3, there, there's a shift that takes place. So look at verse 1. Samuel was ministering with Eli, and notice what is said of, of that time. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So that's the beginning. Now look all the way down to verses 19 through 21. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and Samuel let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So do you see the transition from when Samuel starts to to the end now? The the word of the Lord is active. As Bob Dylan would say, the times they are a-changing. What a difference from the beginning. The word of the Lord is rare. There's no vision. It's like a, a desert and here at the end, the Lord is speaking, moving, establishing his prophet. There, this change is, is taking place, and it's taking place in, in the specifics of what happens in chapter 3, this transition from Eli to Samuel. So what happens? Eli, he's an old blind man going to sleep. I think, I think imagery would say he's, he's spiritually blind, as we've seen, but, but he's physically blind. He's an old man. He's going to sleep. Samuel is lying in, in the temple where the ark of God was. Okay, he's the closest one to the presence of God, this young boy. Right? And, and, and Samuel hears a voice, an audible voice. Here I am. He runs, thinks it must be Eli. It wasn't me. Go back to sleep. Deaf to the fact that God might be speaking to Samuel. The whole process happens again. A second time, same response. Go lay down. And maybe, he's, maybe he's a little perturbed. I don't know if you've been woken up in the middle of the night by a young child, but after twice, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. Right? But, but so it happens twice. A third time, finally, after waking up a third time, Samuel wakes up and says, wait a minute, the Lord's calling him. So he tells him, go lay down, and if it happens again, tell the Lord that your servant is listening. So Samuel goes and lies down, verse 10, and then the Lord comes, and he tells Samuel what he's about to do. And so this is a, the first message given to the prophet Samuel. It's an ear-tingling message, the Lord says. He tells Samuel that he's going to fulfill his promise. He's going to judge Eli. He's going to judge the house of Eli, that Eli's house will never be forgiven. Now, now think about this. The, the, the pupil has to go to the mentor and tell him this. This is not an easy message for anyone, much less the one who said, yeah, come, I'll teach you the ways of the Lord. So obviously Samuel is afraid, so he goes back to sleep. Maybe he just lays there with his eyes open, but, but the morning comes, he opens the, the doors and gets the temple ready, and he's afraid to tell Eli the vision. But he knows that Eli knows, 
And Eli knows that the Lord spoke to him. So verse 17, Eli says, tell me, don't hold back anything. Tell me what he told you. If, may, may, may it happen to you, all that was said, if you don't tell me. So he leaves, he leaves Samuel no choice. And so Samuel tells him everything. Everything. Your two sons are going to die the same day. Never going to have a, a name in the house again. To which Eli responds somewhat surprisingly, right, this devout, submissive response, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's as if Eli knows, yeah, what's been done been, has been done. There's nothing I can do to change God's plan. Let it be. And that's his response. And with that resignation, the transition is complete. Eli has taken a back seat to Samuel. But the point of these verses, this final section, the, the point of the calling of Samuel is that the Lord had once again established his word at Shiloh. The drought of the word of the Lord was over. That's good news for Israel. With the rise of Samuel, the word was falling and, and being given to the people through this prophet, through God's anointed one. There was hope. God was alive and active. Most importantly, God was speaking, which leads to, to the final application, which has to do with the word of the Lord. Two, two final points to this application. First, the tension in the word of the Lord. So, so Samuel's not given an easy task. Right? He's afraid to tell Eli because he has compassion. I don't want to tell this old man that God's judgment is falling on him. So there's, there's a sense of compassion. I'm afraid. How's he going to respond? He knows the severity of his message, but he's also afraid not to tell it. God has told him to tell it, so he's got to tell it. So there's this tension. We have to be okay with that tension. Like Eli, we ought to say, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. There's always tension in the word of God. There's always this tension, and any authentic messenger of that word knows and lives in it. And here's a quote. If a preacher, for example, never places you under the criticism of God's word, never tells you your sin, but only smothers you with comfort, you should wonder, is he a phony? If his preaching contains only the judgment note and seldom offers comfort and encouragement, you should ask, does he actually care for God's people? If one has high regard both for the truth of God, even if it's judgment, and the troubles of the church, he will retain the proper tension in the biblical word. And there's a tension. He will both afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. There's a tension. God is God, right? And, and so as, as his people, we are to proclaim his word. We ought to comfort where it speaks comfort. We ought to afflict where it speaks affliction. There's a tension. We, we ought to know that. And then last application. There's no life without the word. There's no life without the word of the Lord. Israel was in a bad state. The priestly family was rebelling against God. There was a drought in the land. There's a drought of the word of the Lord. It was rare. And in this drought, when the word of the Lord is rare, there's little life. There's, there's no life. The Israelites are suffering. Their, their hearts were like dry land. And not to mention... The lives of their two priests, or two of their priests, they're, they're journeying headlong into sin and rebellion. And that certainly is connected to their refusal to heed the word of the Lord. And so, so there's no life in them, there's no life in Israel. And so I just simply ask you this morning, what does, what does your heart look like? Spiritually, what does your heart look like? Is it, is it dry land? Do you feel lifeless spiritually? What does your life look like? And what, what does your life look like? Not, not your, your heart, but what is your life? How are you living? Do you find yourself pursuing sin more freely or regularly or callously than, than you remember? You should hear this application. There's no life 
without the word of the Lord. There's no life without the word of the Lord. If, if you're lacking, right, your, your solution is in the word of the Lord. As Christians, let, let me just make this clear, we, we don't hope to replicate Samuel's experience. So we don't say, okay, Lord, let me apply this message. Come, speak to me audibly in a dream tonight. That's not how we, that's not how we apply this passage. We don't do that because we have God's word. God has spoken. His revelation is complete. So we don't need anything else. We have his word. We meet God. We hear from God. We find life through his word. And so I just challenge you, Christian, brother, sister, find life in that word. Don't be surprised when your life isn't going. We don't have joy. When you find yourself flirting with sin, right? God's word is, is your life. May Samuel be our example who doesn't let a word of the Lord fall to the ground. Well, let's pray.